Welcome to the Seahawkers Podcast with your host, Adam Emmert. I don't like anybody grabbing my junk for the most part. Like, that's a, that's a by invitation situation. And Brandon Schultz. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And Russell Wilson is going about this the wrong way. Go Hawks! Welcome to episode 179 of the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers. Joining me, my good buddy and Montana Seahawker, Adam Emmert. Hey, Brandon. What a uh, lousy, no good, wonderful, beautiful win that was on Thursday. That was it. So many mixed emotions, so many things to talk about and to cover regarding this last game on Thursday night. I'm interested to hear your thoughts because, uh, boy, uh, the team, uh, again, a big win over a division rival, but yeah. some big changes that are upcoming for this team. Some uncharted waters that we're about to enter. Uncharted waters, indeed, because this uh, injury to Richard Sherman, there's really no telling how that impacts the defense because we haven't seen the defense without him. So we want to get into that. Richard Sherman, his injury. Uh, Cam Chancellor also went out at the end of the game with injury. Um, a lot of injuries in this game against the Cardinals, which I that was the downside. The positive side, it was a win over the Cardinals and Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians had some comments in this game, too, that it made me uh, it made it that much more fun. To see the real Arians come out after a win by the Seahawks over the Cardinals in Arizona. So we'll get into that. Uh, We'll look at this uh, Seahawks team that just continues to be so terrible. I mean, it may as well just shut it down. Yeah, six and three. They're terrible. uh, End of the world. They're clearly not even close to winning this division. They have no chance and no hopes for a Super Bowl title this year. I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if Paul Allen just pulls the plug on the whole operation tomorrow. Yeah. And there's now 31 teams in the NFL. Right. I don't know why we even try. <laughs> why do we why do we try? Yeah. So uh you know what I'm getting at. And uh we yeah. have a we have a trip to Prisco's world this week, Adam. All right. It's been too long, Brandon. It was a nationally televised game, so we know Pete Prisco was watching. Yes. Russell Wilson is his favorite quarterback to pick on, and he was doing it on yes. Thursday night, so we'll get into that. So let's start off with this matchup against the Cardinals, Adam. Run down some of the top plays from this game. But first, we have an email from Andrew from Nashville. Uh, I think last time he emailed us, he was in San Diego. And Andrew says, I haven't emailed in a while. So I just wanted to say hi and share my thoughts from the Thursday night game. And he has four points here. One, the offensive line. Still not improved as far as I can tell. Two, the run game virtually non-existent still. Three penalties, outrageous and horrific drive killers or drive extenders on defense. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and four injuries. Unbelievable and insurmountable. He has with a question mark. Are we going yeah. to get a picture of life after the LOB? But hey, at least they're finally targeting Jimmy Graham in the red zone. Turns out if you throw it up to a massive former basketball player, he can often come down with the ball. This must be in the very back of the good play playbook. Thanks for great shows every week. Go Hawks from Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Go Hawks, buddy. And uh, I don't know why we bothered to do the show with folks like Andrew out there. He just wrapped it all up. Summed the (laughs) whole thing up in about 30 seconds. I would have gone on and rambled with a bunch of nonsense for a good 20 minutes about this. So uh, there you go. And I think with that. There's only one thing left to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, But uh, 
No, I, he, he kind of he hit on all the big highlights. And uh, let's start with uh, offensive line he talked about, right? Yeah. Um, still not improved. He, well, I mean, it is and it isn't. Dwayne Brown is obviously a gigantic upgrade when he's out there. But Matt Tobin is not. No, <laughs> no. Not. Matt Tobin is literally what the number four lineman on the depth chart now that uh, with George Fant going down, Reese Odiambo going down, Dwayne Brown going down. He's the number four guy now. Right. What was the latest news with Dwayne Brown? This is something I had not seen. Well, he went out with an ankle injury. It sounds like he says he's good to go, whatever that means. But when Pete Carroll did his press conference on Tuesday, he wasn't really talking about injuries. He was, I think coach Carroll is recognizing the importance of this game coming up against Atlanta. And we can talk about this, of course, when we preview the Falcons, but Mm -hmm. he was not his usual, uh, normal disclosies type self with regard to injuries on Tuesday. Gotcha. Playing it close to the vest. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, yeah, gotta, be, gotta beat the protege, right? Well, that's a big part of it, right? Dan Quinn. Right. Absolutely. But yes, the, the offensive line absolutely had its struggles. And I think you saw it, uh, even more so in the run game, um, which kind of speaks to his other point the idea that, um, two good runs. Running game over. There's two good runs in this game. Right. And it was like basically the two opportunities you had to run. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, there was just nothing there. So and we'll talk more about the running game, but let's stick to the offensive line to start. I mean, they really did just struggle kind of all the way around. I really think the having Brown back next week, and it sounds like probably Jokel as well. Um, I, I think that would really stabilize that left side of the line. I think you could see a huge difference in the offensive line coming up the next game if both those players play. Yeah, I'm not sure if Jokel's going to be back this week, but it sounds like he's close, right? So it would be mm-hmm. great if he was back uh, for the Monday night game. Yeah, so there's a po- there's a possibility is all I'm saying. But I think because uh, Jokel had been one of the – I said we needed basically two guys to get better this offseason and have three good guys and two crappy ones, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, Brown is clearly one of them now. Yeah. <laughs> And Jokel was clearly the one, you know, throughout the majority of this season. No, not a world beater, but average, which was an upgrade. He got, you know, that he upgraded that position for us. Yes. And I think he can, especially working with an all pro type left tackle like Dwayne Brown, I think that'll even elevate his game a little more. The whole offense could begin to click a little better at that point. Jermaine Effetti continues to be the weak link. Maybe with the return of Jokel, uh, you might end up seeing Posick out there. Uh, at right tackle then at that point. Maybe. I don't know. But a lot of work to do, no doubt about it. And I think it really does, when I'm looking at this offensive line, start with the run game. That's where my biggest disappointment is with the offensive line right now. And the reason why I want to talk more about the run game coming up against Atlanta, I think it's going to be a factor. And we'll get into why that is. Penalties, though, he mentioned. Drive killers. It was more drive killers in the previous game. It was definitely drive extenders in this game oh. against the Cardinals because... If you if you just take out penalties, I don't know if the Cardinals score any points in this game. And that's why I was was so (laughs) it bothered me so much to hear Bruce Arians act as though they were one or two plays away from blowing this game wide open. When, uh, in fact, part of it was they couldn't catch Drew Stanton's passes. So, yeah, that. There's Bruce Arians blaming his players uh, for inability to uh, execute. Right. And then uh, just there. Yeah. The the fact that every third down, it seemed like going down the field in that very first drive where they, they score their touchdown every single third down. There were there was a, a flag on the field and, and they were. I don't I don't I don't catfish about officiating. That is something that I 
those were awful calls. Yeah. Those were awful calls. Each and every one of them was ticky tack crap. Like it, it, again, extending a drive on third down. I can get I can get one, okay? Like one, I'm not gonna be mad. Two, I'm gonna start to be like, really? Come on, man. This is tough. Yeah. Three, I'm like, all right, this is uh, now I'm getting a little hot on the collar. But like four of them in one freaking drive? Yeah. Yeah. I I'm certainly thinking about breaking my television at that point. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, just third down in general. I want to look at this because it says they're six of fifteen in the box score. And that's really generous for what I felt how the defense played and it was easily yes. looking down at uh at the ind- individual third downs at why that it appeared that way because six of 15 it, it just didn't seem that good to me but that very first drive uh first quarter there was the they converted one they converted one third down in the first quarter uh and that was on their own yeah one led to a punt and then they had two penalties on third down that led to the ultimately led to the touchdown drive. One, you mentioned the defensive pass interference on Shaq Griffin. Terrible call. Yeah, awful call. Yeah, because he yep. didn't even didn't even touch him. Just reached exactly. out. Great play. Right. That's exactly right. And then the the second quarter, they they shut him down. They went three and out, and then they went to fourth down on that turnover on downs near the end of the half, which was another bonehead decision by coach Arians to try and go for it on fourth decisions, down. Brandon, this is the player's fault. Oh, that's like whatever I happened forgot. right there. That was, yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised he didn't throw Adrian Peterson under the bus right there or something. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because he did blame the players because he said Stanton had a great pass down the field. Arians in his mind was counting that as a touchdown because he said that was a 10 point swing in the game because oh, yeah. if they, if they would have caught it for a touchdown, then uh, they they would have had seven points. Instead, the Seahawks get the ball and they kick a field goal at the end of the half. That's exactly so, right. So to Coach Arians, that was a ten point swing in the game right there. God, he's such a he's such a jerk. And I remember the first couple of years of Bruce Arians, people were like, "How can you hate him so much?" He's you know he's kind of quirky and cool. I felt and he that way. I, li- like, I liked him. I know you were one of them. <laughs> I was. Yeah, and everybody was on me like, "How can you hate this guy so much?" I'm like, "Do you not see who this guy is? He's a total, he's a total pretender." Yeah, oh, can't stand him. And now, now his true colors are showing. And then the Cardinals got into the third quarter uh, again. There were some bad calls that led to points. There was the illegal hands to the face where yep. I, I think it had his hand kind of up on his shoulder pad, you know, like you would normally do. Uh, yeah. Another defensive pass interference. I think that one was kind of legit on Lane. And uh, and then they had an incomplete pass on third down, which led to a field goal there. But still, again, two penalties first started by the one on third down where they could have been off the field would have led to no points. They would have had to punt it away. And uh, that's that's essentially going through the third quarter. The Cardinals were two of 12 on third down. They converted two third downs, but yet four penalties on those other downs made it six of 12 for them. That's yeah. a huge difference. That goes from you know, under 20% to 50%. It's a, yeah, it's a gigantic deal. And it was the, probably the most maddening thing watching this game short of the injuries and uh, short of those uniforms, which are an abomination to the eyeballs. Okay. It's terrible. They're all right. It's terrible. They're, no. I'm okay. They're with the them. worst thing. Oh, my God. They're so bad. They're so bad. I never want to see those again. They're not ever. as bad as the home Granero ones. Remember the green from the home Granera that they rolled out against the Bears? At least there's part. I don't know, man. They're it's not close. They're not the worst uniforms in Seahawks history. 
I, they're right there. They're right there. No more. Look, if you I ever, don't want if, your negativity on the uniforms, there's there's people who like them just fine. And the only taste they have is in their mouth. <laughs> Look, if you've ever done anything in graphic design or anything like that, there are certain colors that are an accent color. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like like nuclear waste green is an accent color when it is that radioactive and bright. It cannot be the dominant color on the uniform. It doesn't even match the helmets. It looks it looks terrible. Do you think that had something to do with the poor officiating? Yes. Yes. Their yeah. retinas were burned and they couldn't see anything. Yeah. So things that looked like good plays looked like penalties. Correct. Right. Yeah. Because they were yeah. I mean it just it was screwing with their with their eyesight, clearly. Well, it was screwing um, with their eyesight so badly that we couldn't even the, the officials couldn't even tell what a catch was in this game because Oh, right. At one point in the game, Cardinals caught a pass. Dude stumbled three or four steps while falling to the ground. The ball comes out. The ground can cause a fumble if you're not contacted. Seahawks pick up the ball, run with it. And everybody thinks that, okay, the Seahawks recovered a fumble. So what did your daughter have to say about this? Because she is the one that knows what a catch is and what a catch isn't. We've talked about this over the years. You've shown her a couple. What was her opinion on this? She wasn't watching, but my wife was. And okay. she was definitely of the opinion that it was a catch. Okay. Well, next time I need your I need you to get your daughter down there to watch the replay, something like that. Because I am nominating her as the catch czar. Yeah. Like I I know this is gonna be hard on your family, but she's gonna have to move to New to New York uh-huh. and be there with the uh with the head of officials when the officials call in, and she's the one who determines what a catch is and what a catch isn't. Because I don't know. The refs don't know. Nobody knows. This is part of the problem of it being a poorly written rule, because when they talk about going to the ground, right. how how long can you go to the ground? I, essentially, aren't I mean, isn't gravity bringing everyone to the ground in some way or another? So this is, <laughs> this is so simple, and they try to make it so hard, and they say it's because of player safety, and I've never understood it. Look, it's uh, it, you can't make it, you know, catch the ball in a football move because what's a football move? Right. You know, I mean, if you if you mimic uh, a kicker kicking a ball, that is technically a football move, right? Like, right. there's a lot of things that can fall under the football move umbrella. What you need to do. And it's very simple. I feel like catch. tucking the ball under your arm is a football move. Sure. Yes, absolutely. You catch the ball two feet, two feet down. That's it. Now it's a catch. Done. It makes it so freaking simple. It, it makes it simple. You're probably going to have Nobody's going to die over this. Nobody's going to have extra concussions. There's not any extra CTE coming out of this. It just it eases the rest of our pain. Just does it look like a catch? Does it look like a catch? That's does how it easy like it has a catch? to be. Does it taste like a catch? Yeah. yeah. Does it quack like when a catch? You, when you look at <laughs> it, does it look like he caught it? If he did, then good. It's a catch. <laughs> right. Okay. No, I just, I mean, catch the ball two feet down. Done. Like, that's a, that's a catch. Yeah. Counts on the sidelines until you, oh, they got to possess. Dude, if you caught it right, if you caught it and you got your two feet down, that is now a catch. Because in the end zone, that's a catch. Right. That was infuriating. Did force a fumble earlier in the game from the great Adrian Peterson, though. Adrian Peterson, yeah, stripped on his first carry of the game. Two tight ends. Wide receiver is Fitzgerald wide side. Peterson gets the handoff. The ball comes out. It's on the ground. The Seahawks have it. Peterson dropped the ball a couple of times a week ago against San Francisco. He coughs it up again tonight. The Seahawks tackle that ball right out of his hand, and Sheldon Richardson comes up with it. The Seahawks are in business. 
Maybe that's the reason he wasn't going to play in time for the Saints. Yeah, you think? That and he goes uh, 21 carries for 29 yards. Like, if you want to complain about a bad running game, like, take, I, I was told there'd be no math, but that is not much over one yard a carry. No. And Thomas Rawls was had about the same amount on. Well, he had more than that on one year on, on just one run for the day. Uh, right. He ends up running the ball about 10 times and finishing with as many yards as Adrian Peterson. So having right. AP on this team isn't going to help our running game either. Uh, we're, we're just it, it's pretty clear what the problem is for Seattle and Andrew covered oh, it in this first email. Unless you're a member of the Ring of Honor. <laughs> unless you're a member of the Ring of Honor. Because all of you guys on the Ring of Honor Facebook page, well, the majority of you, there's a few of you, Ross Bell. Thank you, buddy. But these people, the, the, you folks in the Ring of Honor, you flockers, think that Mike Davis is the second coming of Jesus with a football that stands behind your quarterback and runs the ball. Like, I don't understand this for the life of me. Thomas Rawls is the best back on this team. Say it with me, folks. Thomas Rawls is the best back on this team. Not Chris Carson, not Mike Davis, who averages two yards a carry in his career. Thank you, Ross Bell, for that statistic. Most of you weren't aware of that. He is not a savior. He's not going to come in and mask the fact that this offensive line stinks at blocking for running backs. I'm sorry. Mike Davis isn't even the third best back on this team or second best back on this team right now. JD McKissick is better than him right now, especially a fit for this offense. Why? Why? Why do you guys want to get rid of Thomas Rawls so stinking fast? Between you and the coaching staff, any given chance you have to turn your back on Thomas Rawls, you'll do it in a heartbeat. You turn code traitors. This is a man who plays with heart, plays with soul, comes into the game every week, and is a tone setter, man. And I know he's missed a hole or two, but did you forget his rookie year? He didn't just forget how to run after that. You forgot that he knows how to run. There's nowhere to go. What is he supposed to do? Levitate into the end zone? Is that when he'll be the starting running back for you? Jeez Louise. And guess what? When Chris Carson comes back, he's not the answer either. It takes a long time to come back from that sort of injury. All of you that are saying that Thomas Rawls can't play anymore because he got injured and now he can't play anymore. You're the same people saying, oh, when Chris Carson comes back, he'll be the savior who went down with the same freaking injury earlier this year. Well, I'm sure he'll be back to, to you know regular form, but Thomas Rawls can't apparently in your mind. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, Thomas Rawls did have a good rookie season. You know who else had a good rookie season? Your mom? Eddie Lacy. (laughs) We're so far removed from Eddie Lacy's rookie season. It's not even funny. It's not even funny. It was a little funny. Okay. I wish wish listeners could have seen the look on your face when when I I threw that name out there. Was it, was it, was it, uh, it was a slight bit of humor, but a lot of disgust. Right. That was the look on my face. (laughs) It was pretty good. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. I didn't, well, it's, uh, can we move on to something positive now? Sheesh. Well, uh, uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Let, Let's talk about good. Jimmy Graham because Andrew mentioned it in the opening email. The Seahawks are learning how to use Jimmy Graham. He has two touchdowns in this game. Short yardage touchdowns inside the 20 type touchdowns. This is this is amazing. And it started off with a six-yard catch uh, to get the Seahawks up on the board. First in this game, ultimately seven to nothing against the Cardinals. In a diamond shape, now out of that formation goes McKissick right to left. Empty backfield, five-man rush, Russell gets rid of the football, reaching out, making the catch, touchdown, Seahawks, Jimmy Graham. Russell read that perfectly.
quickly. Blitz was coming. He just lays the ball up in the end zone and lets Jimmy Graham go for it. And Arizona Cardinal is down in the end zone. But Jimmy Graham puts the first six on the board for the Hawks. Yeah, let's uh, let's trade Jimmy Graham. I'm over this. There's too many touchdowns, too many good catches, uh, too effective in the offense. I can't have this. Trade Jimmy Graham. Let's give up on him. Yeah, he's... Oh, wait, that was the guy everybody wanted to give up on, and now he's doing good things. Huh. Huh. You think you think we might be saying the same thing about Thomas Rawls here? Uh... I'm, I'm, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, it was great to see him utilize him able to actually box out uh, the the defender and for Russell Wilson to actually put it in the right spot. You know, the big difference on that is that wasn't a fade route. That's true. They need to not throw the fades. Exactly. Yes. See, when you don't throw the fade and you throw something else like a slant to Jimmy Graham, guess what that results in? Touchdowns. You know what I like? Touchdowns. I like them a lot. I think more teams just need to blitz us inside the 10 yard line because then Russell yeah. has to get rid of it quickly and he knows his first looks got to be to Jimmy and he can just he can throw without thinking I think with the fades it just gives him too much time to to think about it and ends up it just doesn't work it well it works 20% of the time every time every time <laughs> yeah no the fade the fade is definitely in the bad the bad playbook one of the things that is in the good playbook I mean you brought up the our quarterback that's our quarterback, our man, quarterback Russell man. Wilson a spinning, pirouetting work of ballerina art in the backfield and a toss-up to Doug Baldwin, who Bruce Arians said that throw was uh, not intended for. That was a throw out of bounds because sure, he's, a, cause he's a crybaby <laughs> catfish. But what a beautiful, beautiful play by our quarterback. I, scre- I, I jumped up in the air and, uh, and, and couldn't contain myself after this. Baldwin, Lockett, and Richardson all on the left side with McKissick in the backfield and Russell, play fake, going to roll left, looking, looking. Now he's going to roll back to the right side, still looking, pirouettes, looks. Now he throws downfield, reaching up. Baldwin makes a catch. It's on the 40, 30, 20, 15, 10, 5, knocked out of bounds inside the 5-yard line. Are you kidding me? Russell Wilson. He did more pirouettes than a ballerina. He found a way to throw the ball deep, and Doug Baldwin out jumps a defender and takes it all the way down inside the five-yard line. Not just one of the best plays of the game, one of the best plays of the season. I'm going to need Rabel to get out of my head because I had not heard the call (laughs) before I described it for you just now in pirouettes and ballerinas. Yeah, that's that's what he was back there. That's amazing. Yeah, that was that was quintessential Russell Wilson. And I mean, that whole no 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 no. And then yes, yes. because he he keeps he keeps just retreating, you know, further and further back and you, you start to get nervous. But like you said, he didn't have to think about it. He just chucked it up. And he knew where he was going with the ball. He wasn't throwing that out of bounds. And shame on Bruce Arians for not being able to give the other team credit for a great play. Oh, that's what he, you expect can't do that. that from him. You expect no. him to give credit. No, he's no, going to say, oh, he was jerk. throwing it away. And Doug Baldwin just happened to be there. It was just nothing but luck for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. God, he's such a jerk. I know. Finally, you're on my side. I am now. on your side. It's, okay. it's taken me a while, but it's a game like this that makes it clear. And it made it so much better that that play happened right in front of him to catch his reaction <laughs> on camera. It was so good. 
Yeah, the only thing that, that didn't work out in this game is that somehow uh, he did not get fired in the third quarter. No. I thought for sure that would happen, but uh, apparently not. No. We, and what Adam's referring to is in our bonus show last week, uh, we recorded it Thursday morning. So we put in a bunch of predictions uh, for the right. game and the ones that didn't end up ultimately happening were moved uh, as bonus uh, just at the end of the, the tail end of that bonus show. Right. And uh, one of his predictions was that Bruce Arians would be fired in the third quarter. Correct. Didn't happen. Uh, did, I don't know. It happened. That's, that's weird. I, I, Shocking. I mean, a boy can dream, right? Oh, well, of course. Yeah. That, that, what an amazing play. Amazing by, play. By amazing catch and... by Doug Baldwin. And Baldwin, man, just put on the Jets down the sideline on that play, too. I. It would have been cool that if he would have scored, but instead... We get another Jimmy Graham touchdown. Russell throws far side into the end zone. Touchdown Seahawks. Jimmy Graham from the two-yard line. Just an alley-oop. Listen to the roar. That's Seahawks fans here at University of Phoenix Stadium. I think that's what we need to call them, alley-oops rather than fades, because it's appropriate basketball-wise. Right. And the alley-oop is a better, uh, a, a better pass for Jimmy to catch. Yeah, and apparently a, a, a better pass for Russell Wilson to throw because he doesn't throw like a quarterback. We all found out in this game, he throws like a second baseman. He throws. He, oh, he doesn't. Right. His throwing motion is completely wrecked. His mechanics are gone. Right. I mean, Chris Collinsworth made sure that we knew that something that's never been an issue in Russell Wilson's career, as far as his arm motion is concerned, is now suddenly a major, massive concern. You know, such a concern that he throws two touchdowns and oh, over 200 yards and leads us to victory yet again. I, I can't believe he's on the field with this glaring mechanical flaw. There were some things I normally like Chris Collinsworth a lot. Me too. He said some things that, that made me scratch my head in this game. Yeah. And I mean, and that's but, one of them. Well, and it's not just that he said it once. He came back to it like 96 times, you know, just beating this dead horse. that doesn't exist. I even tried to look it up. I tried to Google some stuff about like, like maybe this is a story that's been out there that somehow I missed. And like, there's some good reporting on it and some good, you know, things that I can look at and, and, and all that. And some of the things that I found were from the last two, three years. And none of it had to do with his throwing motion per se. It was mainly footwork. It was mainly footwork because yeah. he's running around for his freaking life. Of course, it's not going to look normal. Like, it's just, I, I don't, I don't get it. Well, Russell Wilson does have a higher release point than most quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's what allows him to not have a lot of tip passes. And for a guy who's five, 10 and three quarters, that's, that's what allows him to get the ball over the line and over the hands of defenders. It's, Mm -hmm. it's that high release point. That's right. And so maybe it appears that it takes longer for the ball to get up there, that he's dropping it even further than the rest of the quarterbacks do because he releases it so much higher. Maybe it's the the distance that travels there that has Collinsworth all boggled, just boggled. He's just boggled by this. Like, it's not, this is ineffective, can't be done in the NFL. Well, he would be in uh, some company, I guess, of uh, analysts who are boggled by the fact that Russell Wilson can be successful. And uh, which brings me to <laughs> a, a time of the show that we like to refer to as Prisco's World. Yay! La 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 la, la 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 la, Prisco's World. La 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 la, la 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 la, Prisco's World. <laughs> Prisco has his hot tastes and nothing more. That's Prisco's World. 
feel like I need cotton candy to eat when I hear the jingle. I feel like that goes with that good good carnival music. Now that we're in Prisco's world, Brandon, try to clear this up for me because I'm already confused sitting in Prisco's world. Well, it it was clear that we needed to take a trip there after Russell Wilson's play to Doug Baldwin, because Mm -hmm. apparently Bruce Arians wasn't the only one thing. It was just some lucky play. Uh, Well, maybe he did. Maybe Prisco gave him a little more credit, but he said it's great how a quarterback looks like crap for an entire game. Makes one great play. So he does say, refer to it as a great play. Makes one great play with his legs and throws a pop-up, and he's great again. Okay, Pete. Well, here's the problem. He Great again implies that he was not great before. Like, he had lost his greatness. The only time that he has lost his greatness is when people like you, Pete Prisco, come out of the woodwork and say, oh, well, he's not great. Well, no, he's always been great. He continues to be great. And when he does something like that, it's just one more notch in his belt of greatness. If you applied the same standards to him as you did Aaron Rodgers, maybe, then we'd be having well, a different part conversation. Of the thing that I take exception to is the fact that saying that he played like crap for an entire game. Because up until that point, I'd, he didn't look like he was playing that terrible. And NT Sports Cards on Twitter actually replied to him saying, if you think he looked like crap before that play, you don't know what you're watching. Quite pathetic, really. And Pete replies he had 180 yards passing before that play. We're measuring things in terms of yards now. It's it's what the fourth, third, fourth quarter. And we're, we're saying 180 yards yes. is the measurement of a quarterback in that game. Come on. Anytime somebody comes at you with a argument in passing yards when it comes to judging a quarterback don't they don't know what they're talking about or they have no other legitimate argument to come at or you they're with. not watching the actual game they might just be watching the box score yeah they might be fantasy football nerds that don't uh that don't actually understand how football works they understand how the the fantasy scoring system works but they don't understand how actual real football works yeah that might be the problem here i don't know well a few a few tweets later prisco simply posts 238 yards. That was the entire tweet. 238 yards referring to the yardage for Russell Wilson at that time. Is that proof of is that proof of literacy? Is that what he's trying to do? Like that he could read it, retain it and then regurgitate it? Is that like what is that the point of that text? Well, proof here's the, literacy. Here's the thing, Pete. If if yards are what make a quarterback great, let's look at yards for the season. Okay, number 1 this year, Tom Brady. 2,807 yards. Okay. I know Pete Prisco considers Tom Brady to be a great quarterback. Yeah. Oh, let's look here at number two. Number two in the NFL for yardage leaders for quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Russell Carrington Wilson, 2,543 yards. Man. Nope. He only threw for, he only threw for 238 yards, Brandon. (laughs) Yeah. In one game. It's just, he's not great because he's not number one. If you're not first, you're last, apparently, in Pete Briscoe's world. Like, I mean, that's got to be how that works, right? There you go. I said you must have a flawed argument if you go to yards to try to make your argument. And you just proved it beautifully. And But if that's how he wants to measure it, then fine. We we can use that as a measurement Whip tool. Whip it out. Whip out the yards. <laughs> Let's go. Let's measure. Yeah. Let's see. Because yeah. other guys that I know he considers up there who are pocket passers, Matt Stafford, mm-hmm. 2,461 yards. He's number four in the league. Drew Brees, 2,398 yards. He's number six. Big Ben, 2,298. He's number seven. So Russell's leading all those pocket passing dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He yeah. gets it Not done. Good. 
He may He's not, good, not do great. it by stepping up in the pocket every time or leaving the pocket a little bit early in sometimes. But when you have an offensive line where you have to be concerned about that, you, you probably do leave the pocket a little bit early. And instead, he's the number two passer in the league. He doesn't like a freelancer. He doesn't like a dude that goes out there and makes it up on the fly. He can't handle that. He's so anal and rigid about the way quarterback should be played yeah. that, you know, it's, you know, one, two, three. You know, steps in your drop, one hitch, that tells you your read, and then you and you hit it on time. And that's the only way to play quarterback. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, and Russell Wilson is going about this the wrong way. You know which way I like? The effective way. Right. It's often why we get seared uh, on political issues on both sides of the aisle. Because neither one of us give a crap where the ideas come from. Right. If it's a it, good one. Let's do it. Let's do that. Yeah. I like that. Well, and I went going back to the pressure part of it. Russell Wilson on the season, I went and looked at it. He's been pressured on 163 dropbacks this year so far. That's 25 more than the next group of guys of of uh, Jacoby Brissett, Matt Stafford and Josh McCown. Those are the next three guys and they're about 25 back from Russell. And yeah, you know why why that doesn't make any sense to me? Why? None of that had to do with yards. I I just really I mean that's such an empty stat. <laughs> I needed to work some yards in there, I guess. But Yeah, no, the idea of being pressured is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Pressure it's it kind of matters. And the thing is is that he's not first in the league when it comes to getting sacked. He's around uh the top 10. He's just terrible. It's because he has the mobility to get out of those situations. That allow him to be effective. Exactly. And that's part of the playbook is let Ru- Russell Wilson run around and do things. We loved Brett Favre for it. Freaking loved him. He was a national icon for doing that stuff. But nope, not Russell Wilson. No, no. And Prisco's old enough to have watched Fran Tarkenton, too. Correct. I mean, I'm not quite old enough for that, but yeah, I still... No, of I, even before Chris Collinsworth would just talk about Fran Tarkington every time he saw Russell Wilson. Yeah. I knew about Fran Tarkington long before that. Right. I knew he was a big deal. Maybe retired with pretty much every record ever for quarterbacks. He, he was a big deal for the Vikings. He's a big deal for the league. He, exactly. I mean, everybody loves Jim Kelly. Lost four Super Bowls. But, you know, Fran Tarkington, just because he scrambled around, doesn't get the same kind of cred. So Prisco was asked by somebody on Twitter and he responded. He was asked the question, what quarterback under 30 would you rather have in Seattle? Prisco's answer, nobody right now. Well, so is he going to play a running back? Is that what he's going to do? Is he going to go wildcat every play? I want none of the quarterbacks. None of them. I don't understand if he wants no no quarterback under 30 or if or if he's if he had to choose Russell would be it. He's the he's the best of the worst. He's the best of the of the below 30 crowd. So Apparently, you have to be more than 30 years old to be a great quarterback in Prisco's mind. So it, maybe at least we know that now. He has to yell at people to get off his lawn constantly, yeah. like all day, yeah. and to slow down. And like he, he probably wakes up at 5.30 and goes to bed at the same time, 5, 5.30 p.m. His favorite shows are on Nick and I. He is a bigger curmudgeon than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Now those young whippersnappers, they can't play a quarterback position. Now, maybe if you could be more of a curmudgeon, you could be on TV like Prisco. If that's the cost, uh, then no. Not worth and it. And then also because it, I, I don't want to do that to the masses, man. Just no. no. <laughs> they don't need this on TV. Well, let's round out Prisco's world and mention the fact that in his power rankings this week, he has the Seahawks at number nine, which moves him up a spot from last week. And he says losing Richard Sherman for the year will really impact their Super Bowl chances. 
they are a different defense without him. You know, I do need to I need to be more of a curmudgeon and I need to be uh, stating more of the obvious things like and then I'll, I'll be on TV for sure. Thanks, Captain Obvious. That's fantastic. It's going to be a different defense without Richard Sherman, Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it won't be the Russell same. Wilson, It'll I, definitely you know, be different. Did you know this, Brandon? Russell Wilson is also short. What? What? It's a true <laughs> fact. And their offense is different because he's short. Yeah. Yeah. And he runs. And he runs. Pete Carroll's hair, gray. Chews gum. Chew, chews a lot of gum. You know, I that is that not the third most favorite story of sideline reporters is like how much gum Pete Carroll chews. And which kind, yeah. Hubba Bubba, yeah. Absolutely. What he does with it when he's done chewing it. Yeah, throws it on the ground. Yeah. Yep, we Just, all know. Still chews the gum. Yeah. I, I don't know how people... Don't know by this point, but yeah, and I don't know how uh, Pete Prisco uh, came up with his amazing analysis there that with Richard Sherman going down, uh, the defense will look different. Thanks, man. God, just spot on again. He's just such a mastermind. Well, from Prisco analysis to one of our flockers, I can tell you already, this is a million percent better. Zach from Bridgeport, Texas emails in says, "Okay, guys, I've got to ask the question. Can we really expect to go all the way to the Super Bowl without Sherman? I know we want to say yes. But this feels way too much like last year when we lost Earl. Maybe even worse in all reality. I guess the injury bug has gotten us again. But on a more positive note, we're going to the Super Bowl. Why? Because <laughs> yes. as long as we have number three under center and we have Pete Carroll on the sideline, we will always be Super Bowl contenders. Not to mention all the loaded talent all over this team. I believe that the secondary will rise to the challenge and we will finish strong. So, all there is left to say is, we're going to the Super Bowl! Go Hawks! From Zach in Bridgeport, Texas. He says, He says, P.S. I still believe Adam should be the GM of the O-line. After all, he is the reason <laughs> we have Brown as left tackle now. Okay. That might be a stretch, but I'll keep pushing for it anyways. I, look, I will totally be uh, offensive line GM. I'm in. Yeah. And you're still welcome for Dwayne Brown. I, I mean, I'm just doing my part. So, yes, but the the rest of uh, the email was hilarious because I, I do. And again, I was right. That was 100% better than uh, what Pete Prisco, Prisco had to say. Absolutely. When you ask, do we have a legitimate shot to still go to the Super Bowl without Richard Sherman? I think I answer it like this. Yes. <laughs> right. With a verbal question mark at the end. Um, I would like to think so in only because I think, and again, none of us can say any of this with any kind of certainty because we've never seen this defense without Richard Sherman. Never. Happened. So well, in, in, you know, before he actually, well, this iteration of this defense, the Legion of Boom. Yes, I understand. I was under, there, I understand. There was a time there when the Seahawks, Seahawks didn't have Richard Sherman. I, I don't know Correct. if you remember this. <laughs> Yes, I know I do. I, I I'm not I'm not one of those people that everybody accuses of like having been a fan of this team for a hot minute. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm aware. Anyhow, uh, with Richard Sherman going down, I think the idea to me is that Earl Thomas is the bigger uh, piece to making that defense go. Having him back there to be the magic eraser, I think, is more important. And so by having him, and then also with our depth at the cornerback position. With uh, the Byron Maxwell signing, which bust out your baggy jerseys, people. Yeah, he's back. He's back. Uh, and Deshaun and Shed coming back. Yep, baggy jerseys and sleeves. It's time. Uh, absolutely. So with him coming in, knowing the system, having success, um, whether they put Shed, 
you know, over in Sherman Spa or Maxwell or who I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I would imagine they'd leave Griffin out on the right side just because, you know, he's a rookie and, and still still learning. So why switch that up on him? So I think it'll either be Shed or, or Maxwell, and, you know, between those guys and uh, Coleman and, uh, you know, even a little Jeremy Lane mixed in there. I think we can do a good enough impersonation to get by. It won't be the same. But I think we can do a good enough impersonation to get by. Yeah, what you're really getting at here is they have a ton of depth at corner. Whereas when Earl Thomas went down last year, there was no depth. That that was the biggest difference in talent level to go from Earl Thomas to I can't even remember the dude's name that was backing him up now because he's not even <laughs> on the team anymore. <laughs> exactly. And not, and not only that, but I think if the difference in talent level between Earl Thomas and any other starting safety, free safety in the league, if you just swap them out, it's going to be a difference. Would be a gigantic difference, let alone going to a backup level play. Right. And fortunately, we have Bradley McDougal this year, who is I would consider him a, a starter on some teams. So yeah. he's at least starting level and we're seeing with Earl out that he is he's holding it down. It's not Earl Thomas holding it down, but he's, you know, he's doing all right. And now he right. may have to fill in for Cam uh, in this game against Atlanta coming up because it looks like Earl will be coming back. Cam's kind of uncertain. But so there's the the depth there on the back end of the secondary, but the depth at the cornerback. I mean, thank goodness Jeremy Lane uh, failed his physical in Houston now, and we have him and Byron Maxwell. We don't know what he's going to be like at this point, but I still I feel comfortable knowing we have Lane and Shaq Griffin, and then we have Sh- Deshaun Shed coming back. Which you know, who knows how he'll perform coming off injury, but we know he has talent. Byron Maxwell, we know when he was with the team, he has talent. So we have dudes who have started at the position. And we're going, I look down the list at other playoff, you know, Super Bowl contending teams and look at the quarter cornerback position. You don't have to have an elite level talent like Richard Sherman. We still have how many other pro bowlers, seven or eight pro bowl level right. players on this defense. We're, we're doing all right in terms of the defense. Yeah. I mean, the offense might have to produce a little bit more. I mean, it's going to be a team wide effort. Yeah. And really at the end of the day, Although Sherman's play is obviously top notch and best in the league, what you might miss the most from him is just his uh, emotion and leadership. That that might be the hardest thing to replace. But and the run game again, he'll you, you won't have a, a, as good a corner in the run game. Not with Maxwell. Shed's good in the run game. That's true. Yeah, but even Maxwell wasn't terrible in the run game. No, I, I guess I'm thinking of Lane. Lane's not as good in the run game, right? As Sherman, just by size, there's no way that he could be as good as Sherman. Sure. Um, so there's a little bit of that there. And look, Byron Maxwell is only 29 years old. It's not like you're bringing in some washed up Adrian Peterson type. You're bringing in somebody that has some good years left in his body. He had a good year last year. And basically, he's not on a roster right now because of an injury that, that he's now healed up from. So the Seahawks obviously saw enough from him in Monday's workout to bring him back in. He knows the system. He understands the kickstep technique. It's a fantastic signing, something that I thought about uh, a week or two ago, and you poo-pooed me like I was the dumbest <laughs> dude in the world that we couldn't afford him. You told me that, Brandon, that he couldn't be here. The market was too high. I don't know how the salary cap works, how we keep signing guys. <laughs> I, if Richard Sherman, maybe Richard Sherman going to IR, there's some like salary cap formula that uh, that works out. I think out, you do get some room. relief. I, I think you do. Yeah. I don't know how it works, and I don't really care. But the important thing is that the Seahawks have dudes that can make it work, and I'm, I'm happy that Maxwell is on this team. I think it's a good addition, uh, especially with the Falcons coming to town uh, on Monday night. Well, let's get into that. The Falcons... Coming in to Seattle 
for a Monday night football matchup. Primetime game for the second week in a row. Seahawks are 21, 3 and 1 since 2010 in primetime games. Carroll 7 and 0 on Monday night football. It's a winning streak for the Seahawks that actually goes back to the Holmgren era. Seattle has an 11 game winning streak on Monday night football. Wow. I I didn't realize it had gone back all the way that far. Yeah. No, this would be an interesting matchup. Uh, The Falcons, who have struggled as of late, did get the victory against the Cowboys last week, but had lost their previous four out of uh, or three out of the last four games or something along those lines. They hadn't been very good. This, I, they started off the season fairly hot, then came back down to earth. Uh, hot? I mean, they started out winning, but that was beating teams. They had that close Correct. win over the Bears. Uh, they beat the Packers at, in, in Atlanta, so that was a, a good win for them. They're one of their quality wins. They uh, beat Detroit in Detroit, and probably another quality win for them. And uh, And then they kicked off that losing streak by losing to the Bills. Right. So their October Badly. October for the Falcons was terrible. Lost to the Bills, lost to the Dolphins, got crushed by the Patriots, and then squeaked by with a five-point win against the Jets to close out October. This is not a world-beating team. This is not the same Atlanta Falcons team as last year. I mean, I watched a fair amount of the Falcons-Cowboys game this last week, and boy, Troy Aikman couldn't get over himself about how the Falcons now look like the Falcons, <laughs> like, and how they're back, and all that. Well, they against the Cowboys, though, they did in that second half. They showed how quickly they're able to drive down the field. And I don't and part of it. Sean Lee was out for the Cowboys, which I mean, that that is the difference maker when that defense Sean Lee went down and Matt Ryan just ran down the field on that. Was it Matt Ryan who ran down the field or was it Tevin Coleman? And because Freeman got hurt. So it was Tevin Coleman and Ward that just when Sean Lee went out and the second half came about, you saw Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator for the the Falcons, go big time to the running game. Yeah. And when they did that and they were started gashing the Cowboys in the running game, it opened up. That's the pass. when the passing yeah. offense really opened up for, for Matt Ryan and company. Guess what the Seahawks do well? They shut down the they run. They snuff out the running game. And no Devonta Freeman, it sounds like, in this game. Yeah. In the clink. Yeah, good luck with that. Steve Sarkeesian doesn't have the best reputation in Washington, by the way, as well. So That's there, a true fact. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be a place he's going to enjoy coming back to. The one other area where the Falcons have had struggled with are with running quarterbacks. The game against the Panthers a couple weeks ago. It was a 20 to 17 win by the Panthers. So close game between the two division teams. Cam mm-hmm. Newton only 137 yards passing, but nine carries, 86 yards. That's where I think the running game and and maybe if they they. I mean, we haven't seen it out of Thomas Rawls necessarily, but if they can get read option going, this Atlanta defense has been susceptible to the run. They're number 19 in the league, giving up 113 plus yards a game. That's where I would see if they could if they can attack the Falcons defense, get the read option going, hopefully open it up for either Russell Wilson or Thomas Rawls. I don't care which get the running game going and uh, open up the pass a little bit. I think this is going to be close, though, Adam. I would agree with you. I think it has the the makings to be close, but in a lowest scoring affair, like first to twenty wins, that that type of game, right? Yeah, I, I don't see the Falcons coming in and lighting it up like they did last year. I don't. I don't predict that sort of game. No, you still have Julio Jones against. I mean, Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu against a, a rookie corner and Jeremy Lane. Yes, and Byron mm. Maxwell. And right, you keep forgetting that he's on the team again. Cam like, Cam could be out though. Yeah, out of all the players to be missing in this game, like when it's a an attack that is based more on the uh, the passing game than it is the running game, 
I think having McDougald out there is less of a liability in that sort of matchup for us. Yeah. Because, I mean, we saw Cam all over the place. He had a quintessential Cam game. I mean, he was smucking people. Oh, he, we Arizona didn't even game. mention the safety. Gosh, yeah, exactly, right? I mean, uh, K.J. Wright, a big part of blowing that uh, play up, getting in the backfield, allows Cam Chancellor to come in, tackle Adrian Peterson, get the two points. How did, how did we miss that? I don't know, man. I, it was a long time ago. That's why. <laughs> that game was forever that was ago. Well, it was about a week ago. A long, long time ago. But... uh Basically, you know, I look at this defense and I mean, I know I know pro football focus is in love with them, but uh, I I definitely don't see this defense that everybody touts for Atlanta being all that great. And I think their corners can get got. I really do. Well, the one thing that I will say for the Falcons is, yes, Smith, Tyron Smith was out for the Dallas Cowboys in the last game. That made a big difference because it allowed uh, Adrian Claiborne to. Almost tied the single season sack record, like for an entire season in one game. Six sacks on Dak Prescott in that game. So So you know what happens to players that have a a crazy day like that? Like they're just a beyond record setting performance day. They always come right back down to earth and have just a mediocre game. Everybody tries to sign them their fantasy teams and all that crap. So I'm really glad (laughs) that he got that out of the way a week early. Well, I I hope he got it out of the way, and I really hope Dwayne Brown is coming back because if we're going back up, you know, fourth string left tackle again in this game, then yes, I I would be worried about Claiborne. But I tend to be a little bit more worried now with Beasley on the other side, Vic Beasley going up against Jermaine Effetti. Yeah, I think that's the matchup that scares me the most out of all this. I mean, Vic Beasley, the guy that the Atlanta Falcons drafted in the image of Bruce Irvin. Yeah. With Dan Quinn coming right. to the to the team, he's he's showing flashes. A very fast guy ran down Prescott on a couple uh, a couple times in that game against the Cowboys. Right, and you saw that uh, if you allow this Atlanta Falcons team to just tee off on the quarterback, it becomes a long day. So, um, I think a little differently than you, I really feel like um, I, I feel like the screen game needs to be something that we implement heavily in early in this game. I want to use the screen game, the short passing game to then be able to open it up for the running game a little bit. And by God, let's feed the rock to Thomas Rawls. Okay. Let's just, let's just sit there and uh, actually really commit to him. Yeah. A little bit of sprinkling, a little McKissick. We won't have to worry about CJ Procise because he's been moved to IR. And as Lisa Carlson said in the, in the ring of honor, on the move, on his way to IR, he actually tore his ACL. Thanks to Lisa for that exclusive report. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had to give her credit. That was a funny joke. That was to a me. funny joke. I, that made me laugh. Yeah, I, I don't know how you get injured making, uh, you know, what is a simple roster transaction, but uh, he found a way. He absolutely did find a way. Yeah. Well, Matt Ryan, another guy you have to worry about for the Falcons in this game. Eh, pretty good quarterback, but... Matty mediocre. Yeah, definitely mediocre when it comes to uh, deep passing. His entire career? Well, <laughs> deep passing in particular. I, looking at his performance against the Cowboys, he was one of five in deep passes. But, uh, you know, he's around the middle of the pack in attempts. Uh, 12% of the time he's thrown downfield. And I would probably worry about that more with Earl Thomas being out. But with Earl being in, I think we'll, we'll probably... We won't see any more than the average amount, even to Julio Jones and his QB rating throwing deep too. 65, two TDs, two INTs, only 10 completions on 36 attempts. Yeah, going to have to dial up the pressure on him here a little bit. 
I would really like to see Deion Jordan come out there and maybe even record another sack. Yeah, I mean, how about that was that? pretty cool. That was a, a great bull rush by him in the, to, to get to uh, Stanton. Welcome back to the league, young man. Yeah. Like, I, I hope he really does crush it and he gets paid somewhere. We probably won't be able to do it, but um, give us a good half season for taking a risk on you and you can showcase your talents and then go get paid, man. Good for him. Good for him. Dwight Farini got shut down a little bit in the last game, which uh, was slightly disappointing. But again, I don't expect him to be able to do that week in and week out. It was a short week. That's what I'm saying. For for an older guy, like that's nearly impossible. That's I was surprised impossible. that Adrian Peterson was even walking on two feet after carrying it for almost 40 times a week before. I don't know what you could call what he did in the game as being, uh, you know, maybe you could just call that walking because it certainly wasn't running. He made it onto the field. But pass rush is going to have to come through. We got quite a bit of pressure uh, last week, and I I think that's going to have to show up again. You rattle Matt Ryan a little bit, and it's curtains. But I do worry about their defense being able to get after Russell Wilson because I look at the Cowboys and the, the, the way they are configured now without Zeke Elliott, without a left tackle. That's why I, I, I go back to it again. Dwayne Brown, I really want to be in this game. Because what they were able to do to Prescott, they're able to jump all of the short passes because they know they're going to get to him quickly. And they don't have to worry about giving all time. They don't have to cover guys for a long period of time. And when you give corners like, you know, Trufant and Alford and Poole, when they don't have to cover for a long time, if you do have to cover for a long time, Alford's going to commit a penalty. I mean, that's right. that's been his M.O. his entire career. <laughs> Correct. So uh, they have to get to the quarterback to give a guy like Robert Alford uh, the ability to, to just cover for, for a, for a second few, instead for of five. a couple seconds instead of five. OK, so if that is a weakness of the Atlanta Falcons defense, I feel like we have the perfect quarterback for this job because, yes, everybody will say, well, Doug Prescott's a mobile quarterback and he got his lunch eaten. Well, OK, sure. Dak Prescott's mobility and Russell Wilson's mobility are two totally different animals. They're not they're, they're they're very different with the way that they run the football. Dak is absolutely mobile, but he's mobile in the sense of, you know, make a nice bootleg out, everything kind of opens up in front of you. Yeah, he can take off and he can get you that 10-15 yards. Maybe make one juke in there, but then bowl somebody over cuz he's a big dude. Yeah. Russell Wilson is a pirouetting ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> And he'll, and he'll do that for 96 seconds back there in the backfield and then, you know, chuck it up and get a pass interference penalty against uh, Alford. That's how it's going to be. This Sandlot football does not bode well for, for the Falcons. But we all know that Dan Quinn knows his team well, and uh, that could be a concerning factor. It could be. I, I do think this is going to be a, a close game at CenturyLink. And I want to talk about the Seahawks team, Adam, and the way that we talk about other teams around the league because we we look at teams like the Eagles, we look at teams like the Rams, especially the Rams, and you say, who have they really played to this point mm-hmm. in the season? And you can really say that about the Seahawks team because who who have they played? Are, are you can argue that the Texans that that was one quality win when they yeah. were playing with Watson. They beat the Rams on the road. You can count that as a quality win. Division game against a, a mm-hmm. team that's performing pretty well. Those are really your two quality wins this season. Otherwise, you have losses to the Packers, a mm-hmm. loss to the Titans, and a loss to the Skins. Yeah, and that Skins loss just looks terrible. Although, it looks better after the Skins uh, 
who did they? Skins played a good team this last week, and they kept it close. They played the Vikings, right? Yeah, and they stayed in that game. So, I mean, that makes that Skins loss look a little less bad, I guess. But uh, yeah, well, watching the game, it still looked bad. You can only play the people on your schedule, and I get all that. But it's not like Atlanta is one of those teams that you look at and you'd be like, well, there would be a quality win. I, I think a win over Atlanta would be a quality win, don't you? Although maybe according to the national media, I've been saying they stink all year. When I said, oh, they got off to a hot start and you rattle off like, oh, they barely beat this, barely beat that. And they got thrashed the whole time on the bonus shows this entire season. I've been saying they are not as good as their record. And then finally, that started to even out. They're going to be they're five and four right now. So they are a winning team as of right now. We congratulations. I think I think it counts, though. That's fine. I could give a crap whether they're quality wins or not quality wins in a lot of ways. A win against a Falcons team with Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Seahawks without Richard Sherman. That would help uh, feed that, uh, you know, excitement to going toward the Super Bowl. Right, because that's what's important. Uh, not not wins and losses, number one seeds, and things of that nature. I need I need to make sure that the narrative of this season feels right. Right. Uh, so that's what I need. And that's basically what you get out of the national media week to week, right? When something doesn't fit the narrative of what it should be. Like right now, the Eagles in the in the Rams fit the narrative, right? Right. You know, second year quarterbacks on the rise, young coaches lighting up the league. Yet they're still on the rise. They're they're a ways away. This isn't their year. We've already beat the freaking Rams once, and yet somehow they're the best team in the division by everybody by a mile. Right. Maybe the best team in the NFC by some. Even better than the Eagles. I think, I mean, they're up there. That's the... But boy, the national media eats it up because it it, it fits a nice narrative rather than football. Well, they are pointing out the fact that the Falcons and the Rams, the two teams that have the most difficult remaining schedule in the league. And at this point in the season, you can kind of look at that strength of schedule argument whereas i think in the offseason it doesn't really work i think to this point in the season you kind of know who teams are you have a much better idea and then the only thing factor that is remaining in that that you can't predict is just injuries right but you have at least a sense of who the teams are what they can do what they can't do to a degree and uh, i mean there will all be flukes you know week to week like drew Brees and the saints putting up uh, 86 points <laughs> and drew Brees threw for zero touchdowns yeah like just let your mind you know, try to wrap itself around that. Yeah, two hundred, two one hundred yard rushing performances by Saints running backs. Out of all the teams in the NFC right now that scare me, I think the Saints are scaring the Saints, me the most. The Saints, the, yeah, the Saints are scaring me. Yeah, after that Even win in Buffalo, that yeah, you talked me out of that stupid pick too. I did with the I weather feel, and all that crap. I felt really good about it too when I got oh, the win. Oh man, God, you got me. On <laughs> yeah, that. I beat you by one game too. Worked out perfectly. Such catfish. All right, Adam. Well, what do you say we get on to the second half of the show? We got a new member of the flock to welcome. We got a review, and of course, some do better and better at life. On this week's edition of Three In, Three Out, find out which Seahawk is emerging as our squad's Deadpool, why KJ Wright is our team's Iceman, and which offensive lineman is suffering from a reverse spinal tap. This week's article goes to 11, so make sure to head over to SeahawkersPodcast.com slash 3i3o for Clinton Bonner's unique take on our Seahawks. The Seahawkers Booster Club is the official booster club of the Seattle Seahawks. Go to Seahawkers.org. Check out a chapter near you, whether you're stateside or international. I know we have some international chapters. There's Germany, UK, quite a few up in Canada. Lots of places to be a part of the Seahawkers Booster Club. Chapters everywhere. 
No doubt about it. We cover we cover the world. About, about the same amount as uh, the ocean covers the world. I think there's uh, enough Seahawkers enough chapters, Seahawkers to, chapters to, to cover that. Yeah, yeah, 70% of the earth covered by Seahawkers. Right. True fact. Don't look it up. It just depends on it just depends on how far of a range you think one member of the Seahawkers uh covers. So like, you know, some of our oh, like uh, Area 29, and, Earl Thomas covers a lot of area. Right. So like, you know, some of our folks like that are in the Navy, some of our, you know, flockers that are in the Navy or or in the Seahawkers uh booster club. Like they're out there in the ocean, right? right. Like they cover a lot of area yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were talking a little bit about salary cap earlier and for anybody who's interested Go over to fieldgoals.com. Check out John Gilbert's latest articles because he he actually breaks it down into how the Seahawks are, are making this work with all the uh, the salary cap with Richard Sherman going down to injury. Bulls catfish! There's no way. There's no way it's to figure voodoo, it out. It's impossible. It is voodoo magic. It is voodoo magic. He is definitely like sacrificing uh, live pigeons or something like that. He is from he is from deep down in Louisiana and like has voodoo dolls in his in his office. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's a warlock. Well, if you want to know how David David Copperfield does his tricks that you go to fieldgoals.com. Check out John's article. Talking. Okay, there we go. I was looking, looking at it over the break, and there's a lot of detail that I just don't want to get into. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this exemption, that uh, salary hold, like whatever. Blah blah blah. blah yeah. Blah. How you divide up Maxwell's contract? Well, the I guess the interesting part is Byron Maxwell still getting paid by the Dolphins helps out the Seahawks a lot. Yes, it does. And the fact that they could still pay him veteran minimum or near veteran minimum. And it, I think it, as John's article was pointing out, it's maybe a quarter of a million toward the salary cap for Maxwell for the rest of the season. Tiddly winks and peanuts. Right. Which, yeah. I mean, I didn't even know they had that much uh, under the salary cap, but uh, right. <laughs> apparently, yeah, <laughs> no, they found a way, found yeah. a way. No doubt. I've, you've never heard these words come out of my mouth uh, in all sincerity, but thank you very much, Miami Dolphins. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you to the Dolphins. And yeah, thanks for letting Dion Jordan go. It seems like he's working out pretty well. He had, uh, I was just looking at pro football focus. He had Maybe. five. Well, this is a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Quarterback pressures, one sack, two hits, two hurries. Mm-hmm. It's not, not a bad first game since your 2014 season. No, I'm pretty excited about that sort of debut. He should be too. And congratulations to the young man, no doubt. And he is a young guy too. That's it, I, I like you mentioned with Byron Maxwell, 29. I was, I list, did you listen to Byron Maxwell's press conference coming into this week? Actually, I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I listened to that a little bit. I, I don't know what I took away from that, well, to be honest. He, the couple interesting things. One, he was waiting for the call from the Seahawks. Two, the other interesting thing was that he said he got a call from the Falcons. Those Correct. were the two teams that called. So the Falcons feel good about their secondary is what you're saying. Maybe that was just a, hey, if we if a guy goes down, we're calling you first. So be ready. Oh, maybe. That's yeah, kind of how Quinn I has a history it. with him. Yeah. Yeah, I get Dan it. Dan Quinn. Sure. He looks a lot better back in uh, back in uh, blue and green, though. No doubt. And I got uh, coming in the mail this week a signed Byron Maxwell Legion of Boom poster. This was even before he was signed. I thought, oh, oh that wow. looks cool. Now it's going to be a good fri- a good prize for the Pick'em League. That is pretty cool. So it, another lesson I thought that I learned out of this was never get rid of your old player jerseys until they have completely and forever retired, right? <laughs> right. Because they may come back to the team, and then when you put it on and go to the game, you look extra cool. You're like, yeah, I still have this Maxwell jersey. I knew he'd be back. Yeah, brought our dude back. It's fine. Looking at the Seahawkers podcast leaderboard, we got 523 flockers in our Pick'em League. 
leading it up at 1380 PBR. You serious? Ultras 1330, the Blue and Green Mile also at 1330. Got Hawks Dozen there at 1320. Aaron with a big week. And yeah. uh, the yeah, best. Good for her, yeah, by the way. For sure. The best of the British, 1270, rounding out the top five. What was it? What was the number one score again? 1380. Crap, I lost ground this week somehow. And I even got in the bonus. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm 300 out instead of 200 and change out. Yeah, I'm 300 and change. <laughs> How much change, Brandon? Enough. <laughs> okay. Like 60. Oh, okay. 360 is I'm not, I'm not that far ahead of you then, even at this point. This is ridiculous. I'm catching up. It's that time of year. I'm a, I'm about to I'm about to close on this man. And as I mentioned earlier, Hawks dozen. Congratulations to Aaron. A perfect week. A perfect week. Two hundred and thirty points. I want to know how that feels. I've never I've played golf since I was five years old. I've never hit a hole in one, and I've been doing picks for five years now, and I've never had a perfect week. I want to know. It doesn't it doesn't happen very often. So Aaron, congratulations. Uh, Muff punter, one hundred seventy points, like a boss. <laughs> I like that name. Uh, I like Muff Putter, too. These are good. <laughs> the Yellow of the Egg, 170 points. Too short to play Pick'em. <laughs> I like that one, too. Yeah. The Blair Kicks Project at 160. Oh. One thing we didn't mention uh, about the, the recap of the Cardinals, Blair Walsh making field goals. Blair Just Walsh saying. making field goals. That felt good. I yeah. mentioned that to Anthony uh, yes. when we were, uh, yeah. when I when I did the radio spot with him this week because Blair Walsh able to make field goals where Steven Hauschka wasn't. Arizona. Right. Oh, good point. Hauschka okay. always struggled at the University of Phoenix Stadium for whatever reason. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah, that wasn't a good place for him. No. Yeah, congratulations to uh, Blair Walsh. Thank you for coming back and, and looking not shaky. Uh, looking at the team name. See, this person knows me. Uh, <laughs> their team name is particularly, particularly, particularly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the word that I struggle with the most hammered it yes. three times. Thanks. Yeah, that that's good. Thanks a I, lot. In, I I enjoyed the amount of concentration on your face as you tried to say oh, that. I, too. I had to. Yeah, I knew it was I was particularly in for a struggle. Uh, interesting for you. Yeah, locket picker. It's a good one. <laughs> it almost sounds dirty. <laughs> does kind of. Yeah, I don't know why, but it kind of does. All right. Well, thanks to everybody hanging in there with the Pick'em League. We'll announce our patron league winners on our bonus show this week. Let's get to some. Let's welcome a new member of the flock, Adam. All right. Good to have another new member. Who who are we welcoming this week to the fabulous group of 12s known as the Little Flockers? Jeremy from Vancouver, Washington. He's uh, in for the Pick'em League and for bonus shows. Says Brandon and Adam. Well, oh, I have finally done it. I have become a big flocker. I, he, he's calling himself a big flocker, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I try. I try to give everybody a little, you know, not you know, get him down too much and just call him a little flocker. But if he's a big flocker, that's all right. Oh, and I think you'll agree once uh, once you hear what he has to say. Okay. I just wanted to say thank you for all the awesome content. You really keep me going day in day out. I am currently serving as an E six in the Air Force in South Korea at Kunsan Air Base running the anti-terrorism program for security forces. Wow. Okay, man. Being away from my wife is bearable because of the work both of you do. I can't wait until February when I get to see my wife again and we'll be moving over to the United Kingdom for the next three years. So, yes, I hope to see a London NFL game while I'm there. It will be my first ever NFL live game. 
I do have to admit that I share the blame for the Skins game because mm. it has been the only game I have missed this year. But the work won't solve itself. However, I am holding on to the fact that the last time I was stationed in Korea, our Seahawks smoked the catfish out of the Denver Broncos for our Super Bowl win. Keep up the great work, and I hope to be watching our Seahawks win another Super Bowl before I leave here. Oh, you bet, man. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for emailing in. A couple things. Number one, um, I'm a little uncomfortable filling in for your wife on anything for you. Um, I I mean, I appreciate the sentiment, though. I I, I totally get it. Uh, Number two, when you do get to London and your beautiful wife can join you there, um, you have a total group of friends just there waiting for you. There are a number of little flockers in uh, the UK that are really cool dudes. That you can just plug and play right there. Insta friends right there in, in London. Yes, exactly. And thank you very much for, for joining the flock, man. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciating you being down in uh, South Korea, too. Yeah. That sounds like tough duty. Yeah. Happy Veterans Day to you from last week. A little bit late on that, but uh, definitely yeah, well how deserved. How dare you miss it for him? I know. How dare you? I know. You're such a jerk. I should have, I should have sent a personal I note. Should, I, should expect, I shouldn't expect more from a Navy guy. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, he's the Air Force guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys all bust each other's balls for some reason, but uh, yeah, it's Navy more so with the Marines because, you know, they just wear Marine taxis for the that's how the Marines get around. They can only do it with the Navy. So we try and bust oh. on the Marines a little bit more. Are you not a, a Marine or Marine Ubers now? Is that We're essentially Marine Ubers? OK, yeah. yeah I, are there any competing firms coming up like a Marine Lyft or, mm-hmm. or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Or like you guys it? Not like that I know. I think, we, I think we might have the market on that one. Mm, OK, market uh, well, shut down. I, I, all right. Oh, Jeremy does leave one PS says stay yes. in the correct dimension. Adam should be the pessimistic one. And Brandon is the optimist. <laughs> Episode 178 threw me off, caught me off guard. And I had to check the Twilight Zone. And with that, go Hawks. <laughs> I understand, man. Yeah, I think we brought that back this week, right? A little bit. Yeah. I'm still with Sherman being out. I'm still very wait and see because we don't, I don't know. know how else you can be, to be honest. I mean, if you're just going to be just real, real, there's some great English for you. If you're going to be real, real about this, I, I don't know that there's another mindset to have. Like, I'm guardedly optimistic and I'm hoping for the best, but I really don't know. And nobody does. But it is like Pete Prisco said, it's going to be different. That I can promise you. Absolutely. Got a review here from Mr. Ed Essie says this podcast oh, right has superpowers. This podcast can help crush cancer, <laughs> accompany you safely across deadly terrain, and warp the space-time continuum to shrink long commutes. True facts. If you're a Seahawks <laughs> fan, and maybe even if you're not, tuning into the jovial banter between these two lifelong friends can change your life. Also, I highly recommend donating to the show to join the Ring of Honor. It might be the most amiable corner on the internet. Awesome, man. I appreciate that, Ed. Always good to hear from you. I think you give us far too much credit, uh, you know, especially in uh, the crushing cancer category. I, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Ed got that done, yeah. not us. Yeah, I, Ed I, had I'm a lot pretty to do sure with that. he was the man that, that crushed cancer. So uh, let's just keep credit where credits due, right? But we do have the ability to shrink space time and make long commutes much shorter. I know that's that's a true fact. Now that is a true fact, absolutely. That I can take credit for. Ed has nothing to do with that. That's all us. That's all us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know what he does say about the the Ring of Honor being the most amiable corner on the internet. That is something that is wholeheartedly true. I mean, it, it, the really the level of trolling in the Ring of Honor is literally zero, except for calling Tim a negative Nancy every now and then. Which he loves. 
We're doing it for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, we don't we don't do it because we're mad at him. It's true. We're letting him, we're letting him play it's, out a character like he the, enjoys. It's the tough love or the. Uh, it's an accepting love. Like we just know we know Tim. I get it. We yeah. know when the Seahawks are doing terrible that DCH is going to bring out his negative powers of pessimism, and the Seahawks will turn it around. It just that's the way things happen. That's how it's how it works. We have a routine. Yeah. We have a routine yeah, in the Ring of Honor. If you'd, like to, if you'd like to become a part of the Ring of Honor, check it out on the Patreon page. Uh, I don't know if we have any open spots right now. Well, getintheflock.com. Uh, any of our 12, 12 and above, they get uh, into the Ring of Honor. Right. And uh, so we'd love to have you. Um, it really, truly is the coolest group of people, a uh, group of 12s to talk Seahawks with. Eric Hipke sends in an email, says, just wanted to let you know I am loving the addition of outtakes after you sign off and encourage you to keep doing that extra work. It's appreciated. While listening to your banter, I usually have a grin or get a chuckle, but Adam's prediction that Bruce Arians would get fired in the third quarter made me belly laugh so hard that my dogs were jumping on me in excitement. I listened to the bonus podcast the morning after the costly Arizona win. That laugh was just what I needed to lift my spirits while pondering the Thursday night carnage. Just in case you missed it, here's the quote of the season. This from a Seattle Times reporter says it all. I told Doug Baldwin that people have made the argument that the week and a half players get off after Thursday nights offsets the injury concerns. His response Tell them, catfish, you. <laughs> that is the quote of the year. Well done, Eric. Well, like, unearthing that one, man. And right on, Doug Baldwin, speaking the speaking the truth, man. That's fantastic. The the fact that they get a player the week and a half off does not offset uh, the injury concerns uh, one bit. No, definitely not. And we saw it with the Cardinals, too. It was you know not just the Seahawks in that game. They right. lost their starting safety. They lost their starting left tackle. Uh, well, it's been all year with Thursday Night Football, or just since its inception. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. I think toward the end of the season, it's probably worse than the beginning. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something to think about. When we do talk schedule in the offseason... Where you end up playing a Thursday night game should be something we talk about, not in terms of, you know, when people do strengths of schedule and all that, but just in injury risk. I think you're right. Later in the year, it gets a lot harder on the body. And that's one of the things that they talked about with Richard Sherman's Achilles, you know, the the fact that he'd been kind of nursing this injury all along. Pete Carroll talked about how your your body gets in a rhythm of every other Sunday and how having a Thursday night game can upset that the body rhythm a little bit going on a short week versus a long. And whether or not that was what ultimately set off Sherman's injury, we won't know. But you have to, you wonder a little bit. It sounds like in his mind, this was definitely going to be something that uh, flared up at some point in the season. The way Sherman made it sound is it was ticking time bomb. It, it was going yeah, to blow inevitable. up at some point. So maybe better now where you have some time to to adjust and, and learn how to play without him rather than say NFC divisional round. Sure. And then you're trying to make a, your Super Bowl push without him. I don't know. I'm starting to love the, the swagger of Shaq Griffin on the field too. He's kind of, oh, he's yeah. taken over that feeling kind of, of, of that number. Like, okay, now I'm the man out here on the, on the Island. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, we've, I thought maybe this would be the podcast uh, this year that we didn't just heap praise on Shaq Griffin, but uh, no, I guess not. We're going to heap it on him again. <laughs> love him. I love him. All right. Well, let's get into some do better and better at life, Adam. Sounds like a plan, man.
My do better this week, Vikings general manager, Rick Spielman, listening to the news this week, listening to Rick Spielman whining about Panthers tight end Greg Olson being in the broadcast booth for the Vikings game against the Rams on Sunday. Did you see this? No, I missed this. Oh, my gosh. I understand. I I understand because there's the concern of, of an active player or player you know who's going to come back later in the season, getting to be in the production meeting, getting a lot of the behind the scenes info that we, we've heard uh, Pete Carroll talk about it with John Lynch, right? With going to the 49ers and all the production meetings and mm-hmm. him saying, yeah. well, maybe there's some things I necessarily wouldn't have said had I known he was coming into the NFL as a general manager against a division rival. Correct. But the thing is, is that Fox has said Greg Olson isn't going to be sitting in these production meetings and getting all the pregame access that other mm. national broadcasts usually get. And even if they were, I mean, is it really, is it going to be that much information that because you're playing against uh, the, you know, the Panthers, the Panthers and the Vikings later this season, that game's going to happen. Is Greg Olson really going to get that much information? But that does, that shouldn't even play into it because he's not going to be in the production meetings. He's going to be sitting up in the broadcast booth watching the game. It's the same view that every fan gets while watching the game or can any player gets while they're breaking down film. So for Rick Spielman to be out there whining, uh, saying it's inappropriate, man, I'm glad we don't have a whiny ass GM like the Vikings do. Do better. <laughs> yeah, man, do better. Cry baby catfish. Yes. Totally. That stuff, that kind of stuff bothers me. Oh, absolutely. Just go out and play, man. You know, how many, how many former Panthers players are on the Vikings right now? I wonder they, they probably have more information than Greg Olson would get from a production meeting. Well, when, when you're, when God hates your team and will not allow you to keep a starting quarterback for more than a a day, basically, (laughs) um, I'm sure, I'm sure you could get a little whiny. Maybe that's the only excuse I have for him. Yeah. Keenum's doing all right. Yeah, that's true. All right, man. Might do better this week is for a fan at the San Francisco 49ers New York Giants game and the security guards of Levi Stadium who are at that game as well. I'll just start out with this. The combined record of these two teams coming into this game was 1 in 16. It was 1 in 16. 1 in 16. Okay. None of this matters. None of this matters. But somehow this whole thing escalated into a crazy encounter between this fan of the New York Giants and the security staff of uh, Levi Stadium. So basically what happens is towards the end of the game, this fan is sitting with uh, some other people, uh, uh, Giants contingency uh, on that side of the field. The New York defense starts coming off the field, you know, about to lose to the 49ers and give up the the first victory to the Niners of the year. And uh, he flips off the New York Giants defenders and has some obscenities that he yells at him. Well, first off, okay, why are you that passionate about this right here? This is the most important pack. Uh, uh, factor in all of this to me like what why are you escalating a situation these teams are a combined one in 16 nobody cares nobody cares and you shouldn't either but this guy starts running his mouth starts getting into it with security and then security decides to overreact like crazy they shoved him over a railing down onto the field wow security guards get on top of him start punching him and they tased him (coughs) on top of all of that Get out and then lead him out of the stadium. I'm not so mad about the you know the fight and everything to the degree. What I'm mad about is all this happened over one in sixteen teams. What are we doing? Find check yourself, people. Do better. So it was a Giants fan that started all this. Yeah, 
So is he not happy that now they have a really good shot at getting the number one or number two draft pick? His team is one and seven, dude. Of course he's not happy or whatever their record is, one and eight. I'm just saying, they, they by losing to the 49ers, they now have a better chance at getting a better draft pick. They they can they have the potential to get the best offensive lineman coming out of the into the draft this year. Yep, uh, apparently. I they don't know. Need that. I, I maybe they're not into scam for Sam. I maybe he doesn't understand what that means. How is know. the Giants defense that bad to lose? Because they weren't that good. Like everybody, oh god, they're remember okay. coming into this season? Not- well, yeah, when your when your offense stinks, right? Like it, it does. It makes it much harder on the defense. So yeah, I expected him to come back to earth a little bit. But I never anointed him into the top 5 of defenses like everybody and their dog did at the start of the season. Yeah. We'll see how much Landon Collins is ranked ahead of both of our safeties in the top 100 this year. I'll be interested to see that. Yeah, he'll probably still be there. You really think so? Yeah, it's East Coast, you know. I guess. I don't know, man. All right. What do you say we get on to better at life? Sounds good, man. Let's get on to some um, good stories. My better at life this week is for Matthew Masafilo, former defensive lineman who played in the NFL. He was profiled this last week by Kevin Seifert of ESPN. And this is something new that I hadn't necessarily heard about before. And maybe you have, Adam, I don't know, but this is this was news to me. I'd never heard of this drink called kava, but apparently it's a ceremonial drink that's part of Polynesian culture. And what Massafilo has been kind of promoting here lately is the fact that it's a natural pain reliever anti-inflammatory agent and it's reported to be a substance that's far less dangerous than opioids and doesn't have any uh, legal issues like marijuana has and this was something that he used back in college he had uh, he had an ACL tear when he was at Stanford and they wanted to prescribe him opioids and instead Massafilo he used this drink kava instead of Vicodin and I guess it was his MCL, but one of the CLs, one of the CLs. Sure. And he, and he used this drink to help relieve the pain instead. So now he's invented a shaker bottle that he calls the alu ball that helps uh, simplify the process to prepare this drink. Mm. And so for making it easier for NFL players to uh, keep off of you know, some of these dangerous addictive drugs, and onto something that's natural and something that can help get him through the pain of some of these injuries. Matthew Massafilo, better at life than Skip Bayless. I applaud his effort. This will be short lived. <laughs> I, I really, I really hope that it's something that uh, he can he can continue with. But uh, you said uh, it, it doesn't have the same legal problems as marijuana. If this cuts into op- opioid uh, profits for the large pharmaceutical companies, expect there to be legal problems for this drink. I pre- I predict legislation in the next year to come out about this. Then, if this becomes a big deal, it, it's possible. I'm I, I know you That's and I you and I are on the same page when it comes to this because I we've seen it happen with other drugs out there too. Um, the fact that it it is a cultural thing if they would legislate against it. But I guess there's these kava bars that are popping up in uh, these kava bars that are popping up around the country too, that it's kind of getting to be kind of one of these uh, Novu type things. Big ups to him for, for 
doing all that. Uh, I'm definitely for anything that uh, can get you off some of these uh, gnarly pharmaceuticals and uh, really help uh, with your quality of life. And I think it's a great idea. Exactly why it jumped out at me. And uh, yeah, hopefully it hopefully it works out for him. All right, man. Uh, my better at life than Skip Bayless this week is for Teddy. <laughs> and for those of you who are maybe newish to the show uh, here in the last year or so, uh, my man crush for Teddy Bridgewater has been gigantic it, to the point to where uh, on the former pick show, I, I would I would say it like I just did, you know, with the the exclamation of Teddy. Um, this is a guy that uh, you know two years ago takes a, a drop back in practice and his entire knee explodes, dislocated. They even talked about amputation for half a tick. Nobody knew what could happen for this guy going forward. If he'd even walk, if he'd even keep his leg And you saw this last Sunday, Teddy Bridgewater make his uh, return to the NFL while he didn't play. He suited up and was active for the game as the backup quarterback right near the end of the national anthem. Uh, there seemed to be a moment where the fans recognized him being there. You know, the players came over to dap him up and all that. And uh, he, he just burst into tears. It was one of the more, Heartwarming things you can see on a sideline. You know how much work that it took to get back to the field. And uh, I really hope to see him back out there on the field. I've always been a big fan of him. He's a really good guy, a hard worker, overcoming a crap ton of adversity just to make it back to being on an NFL roster. Teddy Bridgewater, you are better at life than Skip Bayless. Great to see Teddy back on the field. I'm curious to see what the Vikings will do in the next couple of weeks, especially with them being in the playoff hunt, you know, challenging. They're really in control of that division right now. Yeah, no, they really are in the, the catbird seat there. Um, Keenum hasn't played terribly. And in fact, he had what, four touchdowns last week. He has his moments. Uh, he's, he's really coming along. I would think that Teddy Bridgewater represents a larger upside than Keenum, but I mean, I haven't seen him in practice. I don't know how he's been looking since he's come back from this. It's hard to say. But there were rumors that uh, they could go back to Teddy as early as this week. It makes you wonder what, especially seeing, uh, did you see the report of the Bills? And this will be something that we can talk about in our our Pick'em show this week. Nathan Peterman getting the start for the Buffalo Bills over a quarterback who I know you have a little bit of, not not Teddy Bridgewater, band crush level, but uh, Tyrod Taylor. I know you're a big fan of, so to see Peterman at quarterback. I I enjoy T-Mobile, but uh, let us rewind and go back to the beginning of the year when I do my annual quarterback breakdown um, of guys coming out of college. I'll go back and listen to what I said about Nathan Peterman. I'm not surprised at all. One of the guys who can play. I, I told you. I told you. He came into the game and moved the team up and down the field. Like... I think he can. I think he can be a serviceable quarterback in this league. All right, it's so fun to be right about these guys. I enjoy <laughs> this a lot. And you will always let us know when it happens. But if, hell yeah, you would too. You need to find something to predict. Well, like do it, Brandon. It feels great. It's fun. Well, if you want to send in your predictions, email us at GoHawks at Seahawkers Podcast. Tweet at us at Seahawkers Pod. Like us on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Seahawkers Podcast. And if you want to get in the flock, get in the flock.com. Check it out. And with that, there's only one thing left to say Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Uh, 
Okay. I did the whole second half of the show with you frozen, but I, Oh really? <laughs> I think you got there. Yeah. Wow. And it's a pretty it's a pretty goofy look you got on your face too, unfortunately. It's just an unfortunate moment for it to freeze on. Probably because you haven't upgraded your Skype experience. That's almost as bad as when you texted me while you were pooping. You don't get the sweet new ringtone. Yeah, I don't want the upgrades, man. Every time it upgrades, it just screws up three other things that I got to upgrade, which then screws up three other things I got to upgrade. And I'm out of upgrades. I don't want to upgrade anymore. I'm done. I'm out. Catfish! It works. Can we just keep catfish? It works. I, I, everything's fine. I don't need an upgrade. Everything's good. You need a better experience. You need to upgrade your experience. You know what a great experience is? Not having catfish that doesn't work. That's a great experience. But the rest, like the rest of you. <coughs> oh, Adam is so uh, infuriated that he he's choking on his own spit. Ah, dude, I've almost got this cold flushed out of my out of my lungs, man. It's been brutal. Every time I said Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater Bridgewater's name, holy smokes! You love smokes, him so I much, did, you can't even get his name out of your mouth. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't butcher it that badly. That's for darn sure. Every time I said it, I'll go tell Wayne Dog we're in on turkeys. If you can take the sexual overtones out of that, I'll say okay. 